Thank you for joining us today for Kingdom Rock Radio. On today's broadcast, Pastor Sumiko Stroud begins a brand new series entitled The Book of James. This is Session 5. Everybody uh, take a minute or two to kind of get settled. We're going to be in James chapter 2, so you can go ahead and get your Bibles opened uh, to the second half of James. You guys can go ahead. Everybody okay this morning? All right, well, let's dive right into it. We're in James chapter 2. We're going to finish up chapter 2 today. That's uh, verses 14 through 26. And I'm going to go ahead and read them all uh, real quick from the New King James Version of the Bible. And then we will take a step back and jump into what we need to learn today from this portion of the book of James. Remember, uh, from James, we are learning how to be mature Christians. So this letter that he has written uh, was not to unbelievers, but this is to believers. This is church folk. Okay. And so we are learning uh, how to grow. We don't want to just grow old in Christ. We want to grow up uh, in Christ as well. So all of the information that's in there says it will apply to each of us, maybe at different levels and maybe at different times and seasons in our lives. But this information was written for us. So we can't look at this and say, oh, Wish so-and-so were here. They needed to hear that. No, let's hear this and say, hmm, glad I was here. I needed to hear that. Okay, it reads as follows. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But you do not want to know, O foolish man, but do you, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by your and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Yay. Okay. Now, having just finished our study of Galatians and Romans, at first reading, this can sound a little contradictory. Because what did we learn in both of those letters? That what? Man is not saved by our works. If we were, then we would boast that I am so holy and I did this for myself. But we are not saved by our works. We cannot do enough good. We cannot keep enough of the law to earn our salvation. We are saved um, by faith, right? We are saved by grace through faith. Uh, It is only because of the work of the cross, what Jesus did, that we are able to be reconciled to God. We're able to be accounted righteous. Now, that said... Then we flip over to James and he's saying, well, what good is your faith if there are no works with it? Now, a key thing to remember whenever you're reading the Bible, if you read two passages and they seem to contradict, 
what is always going to be the case, we misunderstood what we were reading, right? Because the Bible is not going to contradict itself. So when we read something and it seems to be contradictory, what we need to do is take a step back and look at the context and see if we are interpreting one passage uh, incorrectly or not. And so that is what is going on here. James is not saying, now keep in mind, uh, this letter was written before Romans and Galatians. So it's not like he's coming back and saying what Paul said is wrong because Paul hadn't said it yet, you know, or he hasn't been written yet. Um, but what he's saying is there are different kinds of faith that we can have. Okay. Actually three different kinds, depending on what kind of faith you have, uh, will determine, uh, or you, we will be able to see based on what's going on in you, what kind of faith you have. And he's not saying that, that our works is going to save us. But what he is saying that the kind of faith that saves shows itself in action. We put some feet to our faith. It's more than just, okay, I believe and that's it. If we truly believe something, aren't there some corresponding actions? In, every, in everyday life, just in everything, think of anything that you do. If you believe um, that you are going to get a job, if you've gone for an interview and they've called you and they say, you, you have the job. If you believe what they say, don't you get up and go to work? Yeah. Would, would you, I mean, would you just sit back and say, I got the job, woo. <laughs> you wouldn't have it for long, would you? If you believed, now, for instance, I can't eat cabbages, not boiled cabbage. They don't like me. I like them. They don't like me. So I believe that when I eat them, I'm going to have some excruciating stomach pains afterwards. I believe that. So do I eat them every time they cook them down there? No, I don't, because I believe that it's going to not be worth it. So I don't do that. If I didn't believe it, then every time somebody prepared some, I would eat them. I would get sick. It would not be pretty. But then the next time somebody prepared some, I'd eat them again. And I wouldn't, you know, and I would get sick and the whole cycle would continue. So when we truly believe something, there's some corresponding actions that follow. Same thing with when we believe that what Jesus did on the cross was necessary. And when we believe that it actually happened, then there should be some corresponding signs, okay? All right, now, there are three types of faith, two of which are counterfeit, one of which is the real deal. And we can sit in church, and we may have one of these counterfeits, and hopefully we don't, but that's the whole point of this letter, so you can check yourself and see if, if I thought I had the real deal but didn't, wouldn't you want to know? If I was walking around with a Gucci bag, and it was really a gotcha bag, I would, I would want to know, right? Rather than I'm all out in public, you know, I'm thinking, look at me. And everybody's going, does she know that's a knockoff? I'd rather know. So we're going to find out today whether we have the genuine faith or a knockoff, okay? All right, so three different groups. We can have the kind of faith that only affects your intellect. And we call that dead faith. And that's um, an example of that in verses 15 through 17, where he says, okay, if you see somebody that's uh, brother, sister, naked, destitute of food, they, if we see somebody that's in need of help and we can help them, 
Does it do them any good to sit there and preach to them about how wonderful um, the Lord is and how much they need Jesus and to say, I'm going to pray that you uh, be clothed and fed and then go about your way and not do anything for them? Does that help them at all? Now, I don't know about y'all, but when I'm hungry, I don't hear very well. I don't know how my ears and my stomach are connected, but they are. And when my stomach is empty, I don't really hear what you're saying because all I can think of is food, glorious food. And I can't even function very well. You know, I can't even, you can't do what you need to do when you're lacking. Now, if I am in need of clothes, I'd hate to you know, be somewhere naked. But if it happened, I don't think I would be open to hearing you share the gospel with me while I'm standing there thinking, I really would like some clothes, just a little something to put on. So when we have physical needs, and we all have them, right? Everybody needs something to put on. It doesn't matter how many clothes are in your closet today. At some point, you're going to have to replace them, aren't you? They're either going to wear out or they're not going to fit. But unfortunately, I haven't found any clothes that I could just buy once and never have to buy anymore. We're all going to need food. No matter how much you eat today, you're going to be hungry again tomorrow. We all have these daily these needs that need to be met on a daily basis. So dead faith is telling somebody, okay, um, you know, you believe in your mind uh, what God has called us to do, and he has called us uh, to help everybody to render aid whenever possible. But, he, you know, that doesn't mean just telling them, I'm going to pray that all your needs are met. I'm not doing anything with my faith. I believe in my head, but there are no corresponding actions. Okay, that faith is dead. Um, Matthew 25 gives us an example of how important for it it is, how important it is for us to help those that are in need of, of assistance. In Matthew 25, we get the parable of the, the separation of the sheep and the goats, and uh, the Lord is telling them there. You know, we've got the sheep on one hand and the goats on the other, and He's telling them that when I was Naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. Um, and when I was, you know, you visited me. Uh, when I was in prison, you were there. And then the other group, the goats, the, the non-believers who said they were believers, had the counterfeit faith, did none of those. So that's one thing we need to check. Am I saying that I'm a believer, but I do nothing to help anybody else? If I don't ever help somebody that's hungry, um, help somebody with clothes, help somebody that's in need. Now, does that mean that everybody needs to go open a food bank? No, no. But there is something we can all do. It may be a neighbor down the street. It may be a stranger as you're going down the road and you see somebody that's in need. Now, is everybody that's on the corner actually homeless and has the signs? No, they're not. But I'm not going to follow them around all day to see. I mean, if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in prayer and I'm trying to show the love of Jesus Christ, then if it is within my ability to help them, then, I, you know, you just help them and then you go on about your way. Now, whether they do right by it, that's not, I mean, that's not on me. It matters where our heart is when we're giving it, not on what the person that's doing this receiving it. We would put our, I mean, can you imagine if I tried to follow, you know, you know, my, my money or my whatever everywhere it went? I mean, even when I pay my bills, do I know what they're going to do with that money? I have no idea. Amen. I'm not going to follow it, right? But I know I need to do it. 
And that's what's important is that I'm doing what I need to do. And I can pray, of course, because you don't want to just go around throwing your, you know, your resources away. So pray before you give it to him. Excuse me. Pray that this will be used for good and not for evil. You know, that it would be, you know, if, if, and if they have a problem that, you know, that maybe by this point of contact, that if they don't see Jesus and be stirred to turn to him, that perhaps this will lead them to somebody or lead this, them to a situation or circumstance where they will cry out to the Lord. We can do that. We can, you know, pray over the stuff that we're giving uh, and pray that they would turn to the Lord or that they would, that somebody would come across their path uh, that they could hear the gospel from. But other than that, I'm not following anybody home to see. I mean, let's come up, really, what are we giving them, a dollar? You want to follow somebody all over town to see what they do with your dollar? And if you are that concerned, then just do, just give them the food. If somebody says, you know, that they, you know, need food, then just go by the grocery store and get them some food and give them, if you are that concerned. But the point of the matter is, is that it is incumbent upon us to do something to show the love of Jesus Christ to give to those who are in need, to help those who need help. And sometimes that will be inconvenient to us, you know, and we have to do it anyway. Now, do I want to visit people in prison? No. I don't want to get anywhere near no. a jail at all because I'm always thinking in the back of my mind, what if there's some kind of riot and they forget who's supposed to be in here? You know, that's TV stuff. I know, but I'm like, I don't want to ever be behind bars. I don't want to ever go where bars are. I realize it is a necessary evil, you know, for the society that we live in, that some people just feel the need to do stuff that puts them in that situation. Well, and some people in there are genuinely in need of some spiritual guidance. And so Bible studies in prisons, in jails are very important, very necessary. Now, yes, there are going to be some people that come because there's nothing else to do. And as soon as they get out, are they going to really be saved for real? No. But again, that has nothing to do with me, right? Nothing to do with us. We are just being available. And if God called me, please don't, to go into a a prison ministry, it is my hope and prayer that I would go because I always want to do what he's called me to do. But right now, I'm very happy just praying for those that go, you know, and and praying that each inmate will have the opportunity to hear the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. But that's necessary. It's necessary to visit um, or to pray for those who are homeless or to pray for, um, you know, the orphans, to pray for, I mean, I can't imagine a child who grows up in the foster care system their entire life to have to deal with the emotional things that they have to deal with as long as well as the physical abuse that's sometimes there. So is it needful that somebody is trying to be there to pray for them, to take them into their homes? Of course, we need godly people to be foster parents. Do I think I could be one? I don't think so. But again, if God told me to open up my doors to somebody's child, I certainly hope that I would. Um, you know, but there are ways that we can help. We all have our limitations, right? But there are ways that we can help. But the thing is, we need to always ask ourselves, is my faith just in my mind? Is it just that, okay, I believe? And you do nothing. Think about that. 
how easy it is to come to the altar and say, yes, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And we pray that prayer and then we do nothing. Our lives don't change at all. Or they may change a little bit. We may come to church where we didn't used to come to church. We may occasionally pick up a Bible. Uh, But for the most part, we believed in our head, but there's been no corresponding action. That's dead faith. We don't want to be around anything dead, okay? Dead's not good, unless, of course, it's a steak and you're getting ready to eat it, but that's even that, honestly. (laughs) If we want to be honest with ourselves, (laughs) nothing against the beef industry, but... But anyway, excuse me, so we don't want to have dead faith. The next kind of faith um, is the kind that affects our minds, our intellect, and our emotions. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? You know, I think it, and I believe it, and I feel something. Well, let's look at that. Dead faith, excuse me, versus, um, or demonic faith is what that's called, verses 18 and 19. Uh, some say, I, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And he says, if you believe that there is one God, uh, you do well. Now, there's a, that's a reference to uh, an Old Testament passage uh, that Jewish believers or Jewish people would say, uh, behold, here, O Israel, our God is one. And the reason that is so important is because they were typically surrounded uh, by uh, polytheistic cultures who had multiple gods. So saying that we were monotheistic, that we believed in one God, was a big deal that separated them from a lot of the people, or from most of the people that was around them. So that was something that they would uh, routinely say on a daily basis, you know, behold, our God is one. So he's telling them, okay, now remember, you know, he's primarily preaching to Jewish Christians at this time. So he's telling them, okay, so you believe that there is one God, you do well, but that's not enough. Guess what? Even the demons believe that there is one God, excuse me, and they tremble. What does that mean? They believe it and they have some kind of corresponding emotional response. They believe and they are afraid. Now there's a couple of references to that in the New Testament. Matthew 8, 28 uh, when Jesus comes into contact, there's a, a, a demon-possessed person that are coming out of the tomb. And when they see him, they cry out saying, what have we to do with thee? Thank you. What, do we, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Are you come to torment us before the time? So see, even the demons knew who he was. They know that there is one God and they believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. And they have enough sense to be afraid and shudder. So at least the demons um, are not atheists, right? The demons are not even agnostic. They know what they believe and they know who they believe and they have enough sense to be afraid and fear him for who he is. So just saying, well, I believe that there is a God, well, give yourself a pat on the back, big whoop. All right, you believe. Yay, you ought to at least do that. But that still doesn't get us to where we need to go. So let's ask ourselves, is that the kind of faith that we have? That yes, I have, I believe in my mind, and I may have some kind of emotional response, but that's it. And some people do that. Some people who are in church every day, they come, or not every day, but every week. My Lord, every day. Pastor Stroud used to go to church every day. That was before I met him. Bless his heart. He he was in somebody's Bible study every night. Thank you, Jesus. Anyway, 
Some people come to church and they hear the word and they believe and they get all emotional. And then they go home and do nothing. Now, is that enough? That's not enough. An emotional response is good, yes, but there's still more required of us. So we can have that, this here, at le- the demons at least have that. So you're not doing anything good. They're fallen spirits. And they at least have enough sense to have some emotional response. They believe and have an emotional response. But that is not enough. The last few verses uh, tell us about the kind of faith that we should have. Uh, and that is dynamic faith. It affects the whole person. I believe in my mind. I experience it in my emotions. And I'm also affected in my will. I do something. This kind of faith requires me to act. Because I truly believe that God is who he says he is, that Jesus was who he says he he is, and that he did what he said he would do and that it was necessary. And I've received him. And having received him as my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is in me. And the Holy Spirit is doing a work in me. And the, the Bible tells us that we will know, you know, that there will be some fruit, some evidence, right? Our actions are the evidence of what we believe. So if we truly believe, there's going to be some sign, right? Some outward sign, just like in our physical bodies. How do we know what's going on on the inside of our bodies? There's some outward, some outward sign, right? Some outward explanation. You either, um, your hair starts to fall out and you think, huh, something's going on, (laughs) right? Or, you know, sometimes you can look at your, your nails and if you get ridges a certain way on your nails, it lets you know there's something you're lacking, um, if the whites of your eyes are no longer white, there's something going on, right? Something going on. If you get up and you can't move like you used to and you're experiencing some pain in your joints, that lets you know that there's something going on on the inside. There's some outward um, sign of what is going on on the inside. That's why when you go to the doctor, they ask you about your symptoms. Because from your symptoms, they can tell, you know, what's going on. There's some outward action. We know if we're not eating a healthy diet, don't we? Based on our outward, increasingly outward <laughs> action, right? We can tell those, <clears throat> those things. Same thing with our faith. If we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and he is working inside of us, there should be some outward action, some corresponding action. Excuse me. And that, as we know, is the, the dynamic kind of faith. That's that saving faith. So when Paul tells us that we are saved uh, by faith, that's the kind of faith that saves us, the faith that requires us to do something. It is not our works that brings us salvation, but it is the evidence of our faith that we will do something, that we will go out and we will share, we will share the gospel. Um, and we will not just tell people about Jesus, but we will be examples of how he was. Because when Jesus was on this earth, he did something, didn't he? He did a lot of something. He fed people when they were hungry. Uh, He healed people when they were sick. You know, he, he encouraged people. He drew people to him. He not only taught them, but he, he did something to um, answer their physical needs at the time. And that's what we need to be mindful of. And if we're going to be examples of him to the world, then we need to do the kinds of things that he did. We answer their physical needs, and then we show them the word of God so he can answer their spiritual needs as well. Two examples 
of this kind of faith uh, that, that's discussed in this, um, in this portion of scripture are Abraham, two people, Abraham and Rahab. Now, if you are not familiar with them, that is very good reading. You should read. Abraham, of course, is all through, you know, or is in different parts of Genesis. Uh, you can read about him in chapter 15 and also in chapter 22. And we hear about Abraham, his faith in action, when he had to offer his son on a, as a sacrifice, Isaac. Now, remembering the story of Abraham, <clears throat> excuse me, the account of Abraham, we know that Isaac was his promised child, that he waited many, 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 many years uh, to get this promised child. And the Lord has him to go and to sacrifice him. Now, does he actually sacrifice his son on the altar? No, he doesn't. But he does take him. He does bind him up. And he does put him there. And he does get ready to seal the deal. Uh, he is in his heart because his, he's putting some action to his faith. But what does Abraham say the whole time that that is going on? He tells the people, I'm, you know, me, me and the boy are going to go up and we'll be back. He tells his son, his son's like, well, dad, where's the sacrifice? Lord will provide himself for sacrifice. Because he knows that God has told him that you are going to be blessed through, you know, all the generations and all of your descendants. Well, you can't have all that if you kill your child before he has any kids, right? So Abraham knows at the very least if God demands me to go through this, then if nothing else, he will raise this child back up. But I am going to do what he has called me to do because I believe that he is who he says he is. Now, you can't talk about doing that kind of stuff this day and time. You have defects knocking on your door. So I'm not even going to go into that with y'all. But Abraham stepped out there. And at the last moment, God stayed his hand because he saw that Abraham's faith was not just something in his head, but it was something he was willing to put his feet to. He's willing to put some actions behind it. Okay, now there's some differences between Abraham and Rahab. few differences, actually. First of all, Abraham was a Jewish man. Rahab was a Gentile. You can read about her in Joshua chapters 2 and 6. Abraham was a godly man. Remember, he's described as a friend of God. He went out, left his family, and went as God told him to do. So he was a man of faith, uh, a man who knew that there was one God, right? And he served and honored him. Rahab, uh, we'll just say an immoral woman. <laughs> Bible describes her as a harlot. We know what a harlot is, right? Everybody? Anybody not? All right, look that up on your own. Okay, she was an immoral woman. Um, and like we said before, Abraham was described as a friend of God. Rahab's people were considered enemies of God. So when you look at these people, they're on two different ends of the spectrum, but they both had that kind of dynamic faith that affects your whole person. How does Rahab exhibit it? When the um, spies go to spy out the land, the promised land, she takes them in. They come to her house. She takes them in, and she lets them know, hey, the people in here, all we're all shut up in here because we're afraid of y'all. Uh, but I am willing to believe your God, 
and, and do what is necessary and I will protect you and not let them know that you are here. And so she does that and she sends them out so they're able to get out safely. And in return, her and her household is saved. Now, she's one of our first um, evangelists because she goes out and shares the gospel, doesn't she? She goes out and shares it with her family and brings them in to her household so that her household is also saved. So we can see how our faith uh, in action is so important and it doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you are from, it is still necessary to have some action to our faith. Okay. Thank you guys so much for being a part of our Sunday school program this morning. We are going to go ahead and dismiss because we need to have some time for our reviews. We pray that you are richly blessed by today's message. We would love to connect with you. Just go to our website at kingdomrock.org. You can become our friend on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and subscribe to our YouTube channel and a whole lot more. Right there at kingdomrock.org. We would love to hear from you. And if you're in the Bremen area, please stop by and join us every Sunday morning. Sunday school is at 9 a.m. and Sunday morning is at 10. Wednesday night, we have what's called Hour of Power. It starts at 6.30 p.m. All are invited. We're located at 180 Helton Road in Bremen, Georgia. Give us a call at 770-537-1933. We would love to hear from you. And if you have a prayer request, by all means, please log on to our website at kingdomrock.org and click on the prayer page. Until tomorrow, remember that Jesus is Lord. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way.